0: You're listening to a podcast of New Covenant Church. Join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Seated, Lord Jesus, we thank you that your spirit gives us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive from you. We ask that your word would burn in our hearts and that we would be transformed from glory to glory and strength to strength. Good morning, everyone. Obviously, I want to say that Pastor Adam is not with us today. He is on a well-deserved vacation. He is, uh, the Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due. Adam and Nikki are very faithful in their labor in the field of this church and in the field outside in this community. And he is well-deserving of this rest and break. My name is Chip Rolke. I'm one of the ruling elders here at New Covenant Church, and it is my privilege to open God's Word with you, especially on this Sunday, because it is Ascension Sunday. Ascension, the day when Christ actually physically left this earth and went into the heavens, is 40 days after Easter, and that's actually Thursday. But this is a Sunday that we actually recognize that Jesus Christ is not physically here in the body any longer, but he's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, exalted above all power and principalities in heavens and on the earth. And we also know that because he is left and is seated at the right hand of God the Father, that he will come again. This is the promise that he gave to us in John 14, verses 2 through 3. In my Father's house there are many mansions, If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So in a way, Christ's absence physically here in our midst is a testimony that he will come again and that we will be received into his presence on that day when he returns at the consummation. That the fullness of the revelation of Jesus Christ was given to the church and was given to those who are elect of the kingdom, but the world itself is still off doing its own thing. And God's grace is extended even to the world, and he is bringing in the harvest, as he continues to do today, of those who are yet to become Christians, those who are the elect in waiting, if you will, but will come. And this is what the church is called to do. And so in that vein, I want to kind of unpack some things that Adam touched on last week. Now, I had no idea that Adam was going to preach partially out of Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 last week. And I actually, after I heard last week's sermon, I went to him and said, you know, I had no idea. You mind if I, and what the Lord had laid on my heart was in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, to kind of more bring it into the context in the situation of the scripture as it was preached and he said yeah he thought it was a great idea so i want you to know this is something that adam is aware of and that adam actually blessed and gave his blessings to and so i want to in the theme of talking about community which is something that we have talked about i want to kind of touch bases and say where, did, where does community come from i mean think about it it seems like a good idea but where did it come from i would submit to you that community was not our idea it's not something that just came out of the church or came out of persecution under the Hebrews and Israel, did not come out of Egypt, did not come out of Abraham. but it came out of God, our Father, and the revelation of his Son and the sending of the Holy Spirit. All the way back in Genesis 1, the very first chapter of the very first book of the Word of God in chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness, And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, many times, at least certainly before the fullness of the revelation found in Jesus Christ, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one, right? The Shema. And that is something that says that we are unique and that we are monotheistic. But in the revelation of Jesus Christ, we understand that God is not one, although he is one, but he's three. He's community. God is Father, God is Son, and God is the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one essence, one embodiment, perfectly eternally existing from before the foundation of the world. But in this triune revelation, the community of God created people, male and female, in his image. And I submit to you that that is why every human being who is an image bearer of God, because we are all image bearers of God, must be a part of a community. It's not optional. In fact, it's instinctive that we will all be a community. It doesn't matter really in the world, certainly. The community of the church is the community that God has ordained and that God chooses to reveal himself. But you will have communities in your work, Boy Scouts, communities in the sports betting arena, com- drinking buddies, whatever the community is. There must be communities. And in nowadays, with this virtual stuff that got going on, it's virtual communities, right? Community is the essence of who we are, and it's not by chance. It's because it's part of the image of God that we bear. It's his idea, his thought. Now, I want to make it clear here that being married doesn't exclude you from the community because being single, you still are an image bearer of God. You still are a part of the communities that God has placed you in. You still are part of the community of the church. Jesus himself wasn't married. He will be one day, but he wasn't married on this earth, in this age. And you are betrothed as the church of Jesus Christ, each one who names the name of Jesus Christ, to be married one day in the bride of Christ. And then that community of God and the community of man and woman that he made them, male and female, together in the community as an image of God. It was ruptured. What ruptured? We all know. Sin ruptured. it. Now, I want to make something really clear here. Number one, it's not my job to convict you of sin. not my job to point out sin. That's the spirit of God's job. My job and the job of you as an ambassador of Christ and any other one who names the name of Jesus Christ is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul had it right when he talked to the Corinthians when he spoke and he said, I purpose to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified that your salvation should not rest on anything, neither the wisdom of this world or the persuasiveness of man's speech, but on the foolishness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we are called to bear witness of the good news of Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, like Paul, when he spoke to the Corinthians, he didn't ignore sin either. We do well to remember where we came from, that all of us are totally depraved in and of ourselves. There aren't some good and some more good and some just really kind of, and then some that are really bad. No, we were all walking corpses, stinking in the sight of God. And God in his mercy and his grace reach down. As we heard, as Ryan so wonderfully pointed out, that He loved us before we loved Him. That while we were yet enemies of the cross, Christ died for us. And this is important because Jesus Himself says that the one who is forgiven much loves much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And sometimes I think we love God little because we think it wasn't really a big deal to forgive us. Really. If we may think about it, but you want to talk to somebody who's inflamed for God and who knows where he came from, that one knows the depravity from the one they came from. And we lose sight of this. And this illustration was beautifully shown to me, at least. When I was looking out my window one day, you can put the first slide up there. And I have a pool in the back, right? These are a couple of mallards, by the way. I'm impartial. I'm sorry. I am very partial. I like mallards but Muscovies I don't like. Muscovies are, yeah, but the the mallards are beautiful. They're more elegant. They're more dainty, and they get in your pool, and he's swimming around, and I'm looking over that, and you see that little black arrow? What is that black? What is that thing? That's a blow-up alligator, right? Now, my pool doesn't have a screen around it. What that means is that all the animals and wildlife that happens to be roaming around at night go straight to my pool, and they wash their food in it, and they also defecate in my pool. And there are times that if you are not careful, it is so foul that you cannot get into it. I have to call the pool man because it literally smells like a sewage plant. Terrible. So what we do is we blow up these alligators, we toss them in the pool, and that's one of the things we do, and they float around, and it does pretty good on the raccoons. I guess it's the movement of the alligator in the night. It kind of scares them away a little bit. But the ducks, eh, not so much. Go to the next slide. Not only do we have alligators, but we also have plastic snakes. See those uh, little red things? Those are plastic snakes that are supposed to scare away the flora and the fauna. And after a nice swim, nothing better than a nice stretch. You know, this duck here, he's not worried about that plastic snake. In fact, I kind of expected a Heineken to be right next to him. Right? As you swim and you're ready to relax, just take a little bit of a break and stretch. After the ducks leave, go to the third one. What do you see? Well, this is a blow up of the snakes and what ducks inevitably leave behind duck poop. Our life is just like the ducks, where we think that sin is not such a big deal, that maybe that thing that looks like sin isn't really sin. It's a plastic snake and a blow-up alligator and everything just kind of floats along. And we get up there and we flap and literally defecate on top of the head of the snake that we think is not really a problem. And then one day that blow-up alligator is not a a fake alligator. It's a real one. And guess who's going to have a duck sandwich for lunch? We assume and presume naturally on God. Forgetting where we came from, and the sin that so easily entangles us. So why is this important to even consider? Because it is in the community that we encourage one another, that we exhort one another, that we allow ourselves to come. And when we see ourselves drifting off and going in certain ways, that we think, you know what, this is not good. Maybe it's not sin, but it's not good. And so what We must, the main point of this is that we must first in the community of growing in community, we must first draw near to the community of God and growing and strengthening in faith, but we also must draw near to the community that God has given us in the church and the church also that's out there. Not just the church here in these four walls, but the church also that's out there. The church is bigger than any one denomination, and it's bigger than any one group of people, and it's bigger than any one thing. There's room in the church for Jesus Christ to be exalted, even in a diversity and a plurality of opinions. And from our text, we see that the source of our community comes from, first, the triune God, the community of God. But that community also grows with intentionality towards our faith, towards God, and finally also in intentionality towards others. I learned that from a precious saint. She didn't really, I think, appreciate fully what she was saying at the time, but it hit me like a brick between the eyes. The walk of faith and the walk of fellowship takes intention. It doesn't happen by accident. So if we go to our first point here, which is the one up already in the slide, thank you so much for being ahead of me. I love it, keeps me going. Our community originates from the Trinity. It flows, not from our ideas and from our sources, but from the Trinity. Starting in chapter 10 of Hebrews 19 and 21. Therefore, brethren, since we have a confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, to a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have such a great high priest in the house of God. So I want to just stop right there and take a pause. First, what do we see here? That the second person of the Trinity actually came down As the Word said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, no one came. No, nothing has come into being. And he dwelt among us, he tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. That is God and his community coming down and being Connection or making provision where that community of God and the community of his creation can be reestablished. Now, I don't have time to go through all of this, but this is very, very rich Old Testament theological representation and typologies pointing forward in the Old Testament to what Christ would accomplish. And I would highly encourage you, and I don't have time to do it, we would spend multiple weeks going through this to show the connection between the new testament and the old testament but i do want to say absolutely clearly the old testament is the word of god the old testament god is the same god as the new testament and it points forward and declares the majesty of god and its revelation in christ but in the old testament in the mosaic covenant they had a temple and they had an outer court they had an inner court outer court anybody can go in including the non-hebrew the inner court is where the Hebrews can go and the Gentiles could not. Then you had the holy place. That holy place is where the priests would enter in daily to offer up prayers and sacrifices, and they had the show bread and the bread of the, I'm sorry, the bread of the presence, the incense altar, and there would be continual preparation of the presence of God. And in the Holy of Holies is where the very presence of God was. And in that holy of holies, there was a veil that testified that there was a separation between God and man. And that the only way into the veil was the high priest and Once a year, he would go into the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifices for the people and remind God of the covenant that he established. Now, they would sew bells around the hem of the robe of the high priest, and they would tie a rope to his ankle, and they would listen for the tingling of the bells behind the veil because if the tinkling stopped for an elongated period of time, that meant God judged him and he was dead. There's instances in the Old Testament, and even in the New where we approach God with presumption. We approach God assuming that he's just like us, man. Hey, bro, how's it going? And they die. So rather than go into the Holy of Holies behind the veil and also die, they just pull this guy out by his feet. They bury him, and there's another high priest in ascension. Hopefully he does better. And eventually, someone did come to do better. That was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and offered himself as a spotless lamb of God. One sacrifice, not perpetually year after year going, or season after season. And he came as priests, offering himself. No one took his life. He gave it freely. And if he lays it down, he was able to take it up again. For this command he had received from his father. The father had spoken to the son and said, Do this, for I have given you authority over heaven and earth. And if you lay your life down, you will take it up again. And so the veil was rent in two. And no longer is there any separation, but all people, from every place, in all times, not just on a particular appointed season or whatever, Christ is available. And we're so used to this, literally thousands of years after the Old Testament, that sometimes we presume ourselves that the God's presence will always be there that God's blessings will always be there. We forget where we came from. We forget the depravity of sin and that sin must be judged. Now, there's a lot, there's many sermons that are in this, but I want to emphasize these two things. Number one, the shedding of blood is a sign of guilt. We are guilty. It is a sign of judgment, and Christ took our judgment, but it is also a sign of forgiveness. For it is, according to Leviticus 17, it is the life and the blood that makes provision for the death and the sin. And the life of Jesus Christ made provision for the death of our sin. And in that provision is our guilt. That we come before God asking for forgiveness. And forgiveness is a sign that we are guilty. We can't be forgiven unless we admit we're guilt. But it's also a sign, and it's not directly stated here, but it's a sign of repentance as well. Forgiveness and repentance are a pair. They should not and cannot be separated. Why? Because when you go to build a house, you have master plan. You bring in the house um, raw material, but only if you are going to build a house. God would not have made a provision for the forgiveness of sin unless he would not have also given you the gift of repentance. Repentance is a gift. We can't just presume upon it. We can't even come to him unless the Lord grants to us that grace. And both repentance and both forgiveness cause pain. If there's not pain and forgiveness, it must must not be a big offense. You want to talk about what pain is about and forgiveness, talk to the person who's been betrayed in sexual infidelity. Talk about someone who's been lied to or defrauded. The greater the magnitude of the offense, the greater the pain. So to stand and be forgiven and to forgive is a sign that you are also in pain. But repentance is also a sign of pain. Remember when Paul said that I am an apostle unto the Gentiles? Not even worthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because he persecuted the church. That's the nice way of saying he killed people. And it stuck with Paul, wretched man that I am all his life, but it served not as a point of condemnation, but as a point of motivation. That pain of regret and repentance is also pain, but both of those kinds of pains are good pain. It's the pain of childbirth, if you will, of sanctification, of the working of the Holy Spirit that removes from us, and where God puts his finger on those things and, and gives us eyes to see and a heart to receive and know that this was not pleasing to him, and it hurts don't run from that hurt. Embrace it. The top opportunity to grow, most often in my life experience, is that we change only when the pain of being the same is greater than the pain of changing. And pain is always, a, ch- a change is always a painful process. But when we recognize that this is worse, then we will change. That's the way we are. That's when we cry out to God in our desperation and in our transparency before the Lord. So this blood that Christ shed is a sign and an indication of both our guilt, but also that God's provision for his, our repentance and forgiveness. But it is not pain-free. It wasn't for Christ, and it isn't for us. That we lay down our lives. And sometimes we think, wow, it's great to lay down our lives. It is great. But when Jesus said that whosoever doesn't take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me, that he who tries to save his life in this age will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake and the gospel shall gain it unto eternity, what Jesus is recognizing is that it's costly today for us in pain to be transformed through the sanctifying process of the Holy Spirit. Christian living is a mess, and it is expected to be. But God's grace and his blood is greater than our ability to screw it up. He is sovereign over our lives. The next part, and I'm, I'm very, this is, this is good. Main, our community grows with intention towards God. It just doesn't happen. If we read it in Hebrews 10, through 23, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of what? Of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled clean with a pure conscience, that is the cleansing blood of Christ cleansing our consciousness, and our bodies washed with pure water, that is water baptism and an act of obedience to him. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, faith, hope, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. This is the first two of three let us phrases in our text today. Both of them focus on our attention towards God. The third one is let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, and we will see that later. But of the three, two emphasize that we must be plugged in to the community of God and from that community, from that forgiven conscience, from that understanding of where we came from, that we are engaging into the community of the church. And let us phrases emphasize two things that are related specifically to us. Let us draw near with full assurance of faith, and let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Now, we all know the Scripture. Now abideth faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these, though, is... In fact, I'll just read the Scripture to you. Thank you. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 and 13. For we now see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will be known fully, just as I have been fully known. But now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So what are we to do? What Paul was connecting to? He was saying, let us draw near by faith. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope. And embedded in this and undergirding all of this, is the love of God. And why? Because these three, faith, hope, and love, are the means by which we see God even now through a mirror dimly lit. And one thing that's absolutely sure of all community is there must be an underwriting, overarching agreement to what holds that community together. That community that holds together in the churches is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that we draw near by faith, and that is in growing, in studying of God's Word, in worship and prayer. Those three, actually, in my personal life experience. Word, worship, and prayer. That's how we grow in seeing His self, the Lord Jesus Christ, in our personal time. You cannot know the Word of God that came and was spoken to us over thousands of years in the overarching history of God revealing Himself from the fall to the current, place where we are today without reading god's word god chose to speak to us and make his word manifest in the embodiment of jesus christ and when we fail to read god's word we are dishonoring what god honors we must be students of god's words but it's not just this dry reading it's the spirit that makes it alive to us and there are times when you will be reading the word of god and the explosion of the spirit in your heart will lead you to spontaneous worship That in songs and hymns and spiritual songs that every day of every moment we are supposed to, and we do, many of us. Sometimes it gets a little drier than other times, but we are called to be people of worship. And worship and prayer are actually, you know, worship is just prayer in a different form. Prayer, you can pray while you're driving, just don't close your eyes. You can pray before the meals, after the meals. You can pray while you're sitting there at your boss and he's being very unfair to you and it's not a prayer of God may he just die that's not the kind of prayer that God uh, uh, honors it is God thank you that you are forming your character in us what do you think Jesus was doing when he was standing before the accusers before the Sanhedrin and he didn't answer them a word he just was standing there like some stoic just taking it he was committing himself into the hands of his father in prayer Songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And this is what must lead us and what the goal of our faith is to lead us into the deeper things of God, into the love of the height and the breadth and the depth of the love of God. That is the reason why he died. Not so that we can just go off on our own, but so that we might plug in to the community of God and manifest that image and that reflection of the community of God that's in heaven here on earth in the community of the church. Jesus said it this way when he starts talking about loving him and abiding in him in the word, worship, and prayer. Then in John 15, 14, he says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in you will bear much fruit. For apart from me you can do nada, nothing. We must abide in him. Because it is from our abiding in the vine that we receive the sap of the Holy Spirit in the reflection and the glory and the majesty of our God. And we are able to hold fast to the confession of our hope. So what is that confession? Here it is in a nutshell. Jesus Christ is Lord over my life, over this church. Jesus Christ is Lord over everything in the affairs of men. God is sovereign. He reigns and rules. And he has called me out of darkness into his marvelous light that I should show forth the praises of him who in his excellencies has transformed me and is working in me now, even to be Christ's representative here on earth. Jesus Christ is Lord of fill-in-the-blank. He's Lord of the Republicans. He's Lord of the Democrats. He's Lord of whatever is going on out there. He's Lord of the stresses in the church. He's Lord of my life. He's Lord of my family, and he's Lord of my children. Amen, Lord. <laughs> Jesus Christ is Lord. And you know what? Even when my eyes don't see it, and even when my ears aren't hearing it, Jesus Christ is Lord. Remember Job? None of us, at least me, I'll say it. I never want to be where Job was, ever. If you know what's good, you wouldn't want to either. But God was there even in the midst of the storm. Even when everything was being swept away, God was there, and he was showing his glory to Job and also to the community. So we see that we must be intentional in word and worship and in prayer in our connection of drawing near with intention to our Lord Jesus Christ or through the Lord Jesus Christ into the community of God, our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I also want to say that our community is not just us and it's not just me and God. That is a lie. Me and God is great, it's just, but God in His providence and ordination, ordination all the way back to Genesis Determine that the Christian walk must be lived out with other people. It's not an option. If we are not living in community and covenant relationship with other people, and this is going to sound heavy and I'm not trying to lay it on, you are disobedient to the Lord. I can't say it any other way. I don't have to say it, you know, just this scripture, but we all we go back to Genesis. And every scripture that talks about, it talks about Community. Old Testament prophets talks about the community which community we should be a part of and the godly community that he's called us to be that we are being called to be a peculiar people a holy nation again that shows forth the praises of our God and Adam did an excellent job speaking to the community and encouraging one another and this is out of Hebrews ten twenty four, and I'm not going to even touch bases on it because it's up there already but I want to say, and, and you know, our, our former pastor used to tell this story about a man who would get up on a Sunday, and he would say, you know, honey, I just don't want to go to church today. And she says, honey, you got to go. And he would say, no, I don't really want to. I was up late, you know, I was not feeling very good. My stomach's kind of not feeling right, and, and I just don't want to be there. And she says, you must go to church. And he says, why do I got to go to church? I don't want to go to church. And the wife responds, honey, you're the pastor. You have to go to church. Now, i got to tell you this. Do you think Adam just wakes up and it's the sound of angels? And he just floats out of bed and, oh, it's so wonderful. I'm going to be with the wonderful people of God today, and it's all wonderful. We just agree with everything. Everything that somebody says to me, it's just nice. I, it's just great. Guarantee you that's not the way it is. But he gets up not because he's a pastor but because he is fulfilling the call of god on his life now i want to say this very clear you think the pastor is supposed to be here well guess who what also has a call on their lives you have a call on your life this forsaking of ourselves together is not just okay let's show up on sunday at a four no no if god has called you to the worship team guess what you show up for the worship team and rehearsals on time, thinking about and having prepared. If God has called you to small groups, guess what? You show up to small groups and you engage in the functions of the body of Christ. Why? Because you are a priest and a pastor and a royal nation and a holy people. When you are not a part, and me too, by the way, you, royal, we, all of us, when we don't show up and are not fulfilling what God has called us to, guess what? Somebody else in the body is missing something. And that something is us when we're not there us you are a gift by your very nature of being an image bearer of god having confessed jesus christ as lord and having being in covenant relationship with this church that means you are a gift to this church and you have a pastoral role in this church you have an encouraging role in this church sometimes just a smile or a passing i know i had a guy come up to me i didn't even know what i was saying i was just encouraging him and he's two years later i just happened to pass him in a restaurant, and we were sitting across from each other, and he said hello, and I, we started talking. He says, you know, I just want you to thank you for what you said. I said, what did I say? And He said, I was, I was thinking of committing suicide, and I didn't, because you encouraged me, and you spoke about how God is working in my life, even in the darkest moment. Now, that wasn't a big thing to me, but to him, it was part of the process that God used to preserve his life, We should understand the magnitude and the seriousness of this covenant relationship of not forsaking ourselves together. And you can guarantee that if it's that important to God, there will always be something that will try to hinder you from coming. There will always be an argument. There will always be I mean, I would say it this way, and and again, this is me. If you know me, you know sometimes I can be kind of strident. That is, if you're in the hospital bleeding, then it's Okay not to be a part of what God is using, but if you are up and able to walk and move around and read not blind, deaf, and dumb, get your in here and be a part of what God is moving in the kingdom of heaven. Literally, we presume so much on God. This is a minimum, and what you'll find is that as you give ourselves to the Lord, that loneliness and depression will flee, for freely we have received and freely as we give, guess what, God gives more. And that old backwater bush fire that we think is so important goes away. God speaks a word and it's gone, because we chose with intention to engage in other people's lives. Come on up, uh, prayer team, Um, not prayer team, um, worship team. And it's already been touched, Uh, I like the way, you know, God is so good. He confirms what he has and is going to speak to us. I had no idea. um, in, In Luke, it speaks of Luke chapter 11, I think it is. Don't quote me on that. But Luke 11, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. For whoever asks shall receive. Whoever seeks shall find. Whoever knocks, guess what happens? The door will be opened unto you. We do not receive sometimes because we simply don't ask. And, yes, there's the motive parts of it, and Adam has spoken about it as well. But the reality is when we are walking out and we are feeling inclined and tempted to say, oh, you know what, I I just don't, um, no one said hello to me. Well, then ask God point out somebody for me to say hello to. How should I encourage? Let me put in my clutch and drive with intention towards engaging other people. Don't wait. For other people to come. Adam has taught about this. But this is something that we must understand that when we talk about asking, seeking, and knocking, that this is something that obviously is part of our relationship with God. It's part of ourselves studying the Word of God to show ourselves approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. But it also is a part, bluntly saying, holy cow, bluntly saying that we are to be intentional with one another. That if we feel an emptiness, a void, a loneliness, then why don't we fill it and allow the Holy Spirit to work through us in the ministry to others? So we see that on this Ascension Sunday that our fellowship in our community is engaged and authored by first God and that we must be intentional in our engagement with our relationship with the Lord. We must be intentional in our engagement in our relationship with others. And that faith without works is dead. That we must know the Lord we serve in the scripture and in worship and in prayer and then in that knowing allowing the Holy Spirit to move through us now I want to say here as our final illustration that community in the church is really practical we're going to do something different today we're going to have the prayer team in the back and if you do not know the Lord today And you felt the Holy Spirit convicting you. That's a good thing. That's a sign that God has not abandoned you. That he doesn't want to leave you as you are. But he wants to engage where you are. And so where you are and you feel the convictions of the Holy Spirit upon you, ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. Ask the Lord to cleanse your conscience as we spoke about. Ask the Lord to begin to go with you on this journey of faith. But because the walk of faith is never intended to be alone, if you are that person that has given yourself to the Lord, go to the back during this song. We're going to actually have the prayer time and the prayer team during this last song. And go and share what you have done. And allow them to pray for you and encourage you. And allow them to stand with you in faith. But even if you are a Christian... Even if we walk in our own faith walk, we still go through the valley of the shadow of death sometimes. We still go through those times where we are seemingly alone and lonely. If you have a need, and we all have needs. Really, it's not a matter if you have a need. You do have a need. If you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to ask someone to pray with you, to stand with you in faith, then I would ask you also to get up during this last song and go back into the prayer team and allow them to pray with you. This is what community looks like. Not on the final amen and, okay, I'm out of here and the spirit of roast beef and my lunch is waiting for me, but that we actually engage with one another where we're at in the and time where we're at today. If the church cannot pray for one another because we're so busy doing something else, then something people are wrong. Something's wrong. This is an opportunity for us to worship the Lord, but also to engage in the community in prayer, both if this is the first time that you've confessed Jesus as Lord or rededicated your life, but also for those that would stand with you and pray for the needs of one another. So I would ask that you allow the Spirit to have his way and that God would be glorified in our lives because we yielded, we with intention, yielded ourselves to his will for our life in every way. Amen.